Webb had always been a prankster, a class clown who later in life turned into a con man, a cheat, and a fraud. He was always concerned with getting at least his fair share, if not more. The name Jacob means he who supplants or undermines or overthrows. In Hebrew, it means he who grabs the heel, a name given to Jacob because after months of struggling in utero with his twin brother Esau, Jacob was born holding on to the heel of his older brother. Over the years, Jacob lived into that name. He learned to navigate the world quite well according to that identity. To make sense of the strange and eerie night we hear about in today's reading from Genesis, we need to review a little bit of this history. The conflict and competition that began early between the brothers did not end up mellowing over time. Instead, things got worse. You may remember that as an adult, Jacob managed to rip both the family birthright and his father's blessing from Esau's hand. No wonder Esau was angry enough to threaten to kill his brother. Forcing Jacob to leave Canaan and find a wife among his mother's relatives, it just wasn't safe for him to be home anymore. But, land in, but life in the land of the east proved to be no less complicated. Competition and conflict just seemed to be a way of life for Jacob. With Esau no longer in the picture, Jacob competed with his father-in-law, Laban. First, there was the whole marriage scandal. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, but after working seven years to get her, Laban tricked him into marrying Rachel's older sister, Leah, instead. Jacob then had to work another seven years to marry Rachel. But Jacob was not one to take such an insult lying down. Using a complicated method from folklore ranching, Jacob increased the number of his own goats at Laban's expense. It is a family business gone bad. If you wonder what an ancient Near East primetime soap opera in the tradition of Dallas, Falcon's Crest, or Dynasty might look like, this is it. And so now, having once again exceeded any goodwill available to him, Jacob needed to move on. God told him to return home, but Jacob was still haunted by the memories of Esau's threat. Is his brother still angry? Will his brother kill him if he returns to Canaan? But Jacob went, sending gifts of livestock and slaves out in front of his caravan to appease any residual anger that Esau might harbor. Jacob's messengers returned with an ominous report. Esau was indeed coming out to meet Jacob, and he had 400 men with him. Would there be a battle, or could Esau be coming to throw him a big party? Jacob didn't know. So much of his life up to this point had been riddled with conflict and struggle, with moving against the flow. It's all Jacob knew. Like I said, it was even his name, at least until that night by the Jabbok River when he received a new name. Or maybe it would be more accurate to say that was the night when he heard his real name for the first time that he could remember. Jacob was desperate and vulnerable that night, which is precisely when most of us find out who we really are. The biblical text is pretty vague in its description of what happens next. A man comes to Jacob in the night, and the two wrestle, the man striking Jacob on his hip socket. Jacob refuses to let the man go until the man blesses him. Jacob does receive a blessing, but he also receives a different name, Israel. 
It's not entirely clear to us what the name Israel means. Even in the explanation in today's gospel reading, it's not really clear if it is Jacob or God who prevails when we look at the Hebrew. But what we do know is that Jacob receives an identity based on his relationship to the divine. We all come into this world connected to the divine. Sometimes this connection is called the true self or the soul or God or Christ within us. We never lose this connection to God. We simply forget it. We end up taking on other identities, other names, and other stories along the way. Father or mother, teacher, doctor, successful business person, failure, spouse, divorcee, able-bodied, disabled, male, female, gay, straight, American, Democrat, Republican. Sometimes we work hard our whole lives to build up these identities. Sometimes we have our identity forcibly thrust upon us. These names and identities aren't inherently bad or wrong. The problem comes when we mistake these names and identities for the deepest truth of who we are, which is that we are a beloved child of God. It's an identity that we neither create nor earn. And maybe that's why it seems too good to be true, and so it fades into the recesses of our memory. Richard Ward tells the story of a young couple who brought their newborn home from the hospital. Their four-year-old son asked to go into the nursery to talk to his new brother. The parents put their ear to the door and heard their four-year-old say to his new brother, Quick, tell me where you came from. Quick, tell me who made you. I'm beginning to forget. We are living in a widespread state of amnesia. We've forgotten who we are. That's why addiction rates are so high. More than 20 million people over the age of 12 struggle with alcohol or drug addiction in the U.S. today, with the number of people addicted to heroin almost doubling between 2007 and 2011. That's almost doubling in four years. And of course, there are other addictions too, to busyness and to work and to success. We are actually very persistent, just like we're encouraged to be in today's gospel reading. It's just that we're persistent when it comes to looking for security, self-esteem, and power in places that we are never meant to find it. Of course, at some point, almost all of us come to the realization that the identities we've built for ourselves aren't really who we are. That realization usually comes at a high cost. Often it comes when we experience profound failure, known in 12-step programs as hitting rock bottom. It at least takes a chink in the armor of the many identities we've built for ourselves for the light to go off, an awareness of the insignificance of a bigger home, or of a higher paying job, or of more fame and attention, a crack in the layers of the self-imposed prison known as the false self, a wound to our ego. Some people call this dying before we die. The Bible calls it losing our life in order to find it or wrestling by the river Jabbok, or having our hip put out of socket. No matter what words we use, in the end, it takes someone calling us by a different name. This is why we come to church each week, to be called by a different name, to remember who we are and whose we are. 
We are reminded of it in baptisms. As the sign of the cross is made on the forehead of the one being baptized, we hear that they and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. We take Eucharist, and the body and blood of Christ becomes part of our very own body, reminding us who we are. And if ever that isn't enough to remind us of the truth of who we are, then hopefully we will find that truth inescapable within this community of believers as we recognize the Christ in each other and in those outside these doors. Truth be told, maybe we are meant to have a limp when we leave this place. It's been said that if you made a list of everything you own, everything you think of as you, everything that you prefer, that list would be the distance between you and the living truth. So what are all the names and identities that you cling to or that you labor under? What is the distance between all those names and the living truth? The truth that you are most simply a beloved child of God. Today we come asking God's blessing on Melanie and Chrissy's marriage. And we come bearing witness that the love that you share is indeed sacred. I said earlier that we find the truth of who we are, yes, in our baptism, and yes, in the Eucharist. But that we also see the deepest truth of who we are through a community that sees the Christ in us. In other words, we see it through our relationships with others. Chrissy and Melanie, through the love and faithfulness of your marriage, you will know yourselves to be beloved children of God. That's why we believe marriage is a sacrament. It's a means through which God's love and grace are made real in our lives. As you live out your vows to one another, as you love one another in the midst of joy and hardship, unconditionally and forever, you will get a glimpse into the way God loves us. Your love will be a window into the deepest truth of who you are, for the love that you share participates in the greatest love of all, the love of God. Just like Jacob, you may occasionally find yourselves limping, as this love you share calls you out of well-constructed false identities and into the vulnerability of knowing and being known just as you are. But for every time you limp, trust that you, like Jacob, will also find yourselves blessed many times over. I want to end with a poem called Limp by one of my favorite poets, Michael Coffey. Because I journey too close to the event horizon, because I dream deeper than rim and hallucination, because I half-nelsoned the mystery into self-revelation, because I knew silent stillness is not the only holy way, I limp with a hip, hip socket struck by marvelous pain. I limp with an ego wounded and the wound a blessing. I limp a survivor from a close encounter with the other. I limp slower and wiser, purple-hearted from the battle. I could have walked briskly away from the one hiding among us. I could have danced on with a smooth sliding stroll. I could have run tremulous from the infinite unknowable. I could have feigned my gait as if I were free of divine wrestling. Do you walk? hiding all your out-of-joint questions and doubts? Do you slip away from the ring when the bell sounds three? 
Do you hide from the God who would rather have a wrangle than let you walk on without knowing that you are known?